Good morning. How are you guys today? Good to see you all. Hey, I have a question for you. Has anyone here ever gotten lost in Hialeah? Raise your hands. Quite a few of you. Is anyone here from Hialeah? Got some groupies? Uh, listen, guys, it was over here. A lot of you, whatever. Do you know that your street numbers are not numbered correctly? Is anybody aware of that here? You ever go to Hialeah? Right? Dade County has a certain order set of numbers that cover the whole county, right? Homestead, wherever, Miami, Lakes, all these places. But when you go to Hialeah, they got their own set of rules there, right? It's like you guys are in a secret society or something. And like you have to have like some kind of decoder ring to get along, around when you get there because suddenly nothing means the same as it did before. And uh, man, I, I've been lost there a few times and you know... What was interesting is one day I got a call from my wife who was lost in Hialeah. Now, my wife is not good with directions. She doesn't know a lot of things she, <laughs> about directions. Um, she'll get lost, you know, trying to get home from work sometimes. But, uh, so she calls me up and she's like, now picture this. She's on a, we're on phones. I have no idea where she's at. And I'm like, okay. She goes, listen, John, I'm coming home from the gym and I want to get to the house and, um, I, uh, I don't want to go on the Palmetto because I heard on the radio that there's an accident. So how can I get home from there? And I said, well, okay, so where are you now? And she goes, I don't know. I'm in Hialeah. And I'm like, okay, all right, I get that. Um, let me see. What, is, there a, is there a landmark, something you just drove by? She goes, yeah, I went by the Westland Mall. And I go, great. Okay, so were you, so you're on 103rd Street. And she goes, well, it says 49th. And I'm like, well, never mind that, okay? <laughs> she, so I said, well, uh, are you headed east or are you headed west? She goes, I don't know. I don't know which way is east or west. And I said, well, which way is the sun setting? And she's like, I don't know. It's like you can't tell. And I'm like, well, are you headed toward the beach or not? She goes, I don't know where the beach is. Listen, I'm lost. And I go, okay, all right, all right. Let's try this differently. Back it up. And I'm like, what, what's the deal anyway? You know, she, you, they call up. They're asking for directions. You're trying to help. And they're getting mad at you, right? It's like, does this seem right? So I say, honey, okay, calm down. Was it on your left or on your right when you passed it? It was on my left. Okay, you're heading east. He's like, I don't care. Just tell me where, where to go. I go, well, you're going to drive up a few blocks. You're going to take a left on, on 57th. And she goes, I can't do that. And I'm like, well, why can't you do that? And she goes, because I'm in a parking I mean, uh, sorry, I'm in a parking lot. And I'm like, a parking lot? You just said you passed the thing. And she goes, yeah, but while you were talking, I was scared to go somewhere, so I pulled off the road. Okay, all right, okay. So did you go right or left? I don't know. I just went. I don't remember. And I said, well, okay, so you're in a parking lot now, right? So what do you see around you? She goes, well, I see a Starbucks. And I said, is it in your parking lot or across the street? And she goes, she goes, it's across the street. I said, okay, here, so here's what I want you to do. You pull out of the parking lot and take a right and then take the left. And she goes, I can't do that. And I'm like, why? Because I'm in the left-hand turning lane to go out and people are in the right-hand lane. They won't let me in. And she's all frustrated. I'm like, honey. You're killing me. So I said, go out, take a, you know, take a U-turn and get there. I, eventually, I think she made it home. At least I know where she is today. So, <laughs> Needless to say, on Christmas, she got a pink GPS for Christmas because <laughs> we weren't going to go through that again, right? But what was the problem, right? It could have all been avoided if we had established the right starting place, right? Because that's what we're trying to do. If you're like, where are you starting from? That's how we'll get you someplace, you know, uh, the directions could have gone so much more smoothly. Listen, if you're on Google Maps, right, if you don't put in point A, 
They're never going to give you the directions on how to get to point B, right? This is right. Is that true? You have to put in where you're starting from. You have to put the right starting place. Because when we start off wrong, everything gets messed up, doesn't it? That just seems to be that way in life. You know, the worst thing that can go wrong in your house is your foundation is bad. Right? Even when they, if they start building it or if it's Brad during their house is alive, right? Something, cause things are shifting, things are moving, and it wrecks everything else. If the foundation's not right, then you're in big trouble. And it's the same way. You ever walk in on a conversations that you've only heard like halfway through, but something triggered in your mind and you just start going off, right? Cause you only heard half of the story. Ever anybody put their foot in their mouth, do that? Come on, I'm not the only one. Everyone do that once a day, once a week, no. <laughs> Listen, it happens a lot. We come in in the middle of it and because we don't know where the starting point is. We just put our foot in the mouth, our mouths and we just mess it up and said something we shouldn't have said. Right? That's what happens, right? When we assume. Does everybody know here what happens when we assume? Right? Okay. And if you don't, just ask a friend what happens when you assume. Listen, if we don't start out right, it can change everything. You know, if it's wrong, then everything doesn't seem to work right. Nothing seems to be going well. And uh, we make one poor decision uh, based on another poor decision because we didn't start in the right place. That's why starting off right means so much, really, right? Because if we start off right, then things seem to fall into place. Things seem to go in line and everything seems to go good. And we make better choices about what we're doing because we started right. And today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about starting right with God. And if we can get the foundation right, it's going to make your life and my life a lot easier. If we start off from the right place when it comes to God and we understand certain foundational truths, then it's going to help us with the choices and decisions that we make in life. And it's going to help us avoid a lot of problems. That's where we find the Apostle Paul this morning. Last week we started a series in the book of Romans. It's called Inside Out. And the tagline says this, transformation has to start someplace. And for the right transformation to happen and take place, then we have to start out at the right place, right? The book of Romans is a letter written to a group of Christians that are in Rome. And Paul's continual hope while he was spreading the gospel in other areas is that he would one day actually make it to Rome. You see, because Rome at that time, the Romans ruled the world. And Rome was the seat of government. It was the place the capital of fashion, of philosophy, of religion. It was the place of decadence and all things new. There was a phrase that was coined at that time that maybe you've heard. It said, all roads lead to Rome. Well, conversely, all roads led away from home. So unlike Vegas, what happens in Rome doesn't stay in Rome. Because whatever would happen in Vegas would be, or <laughs> whatever happens in Rome would spread to the known world. Because they had done such an infrastructure of roads and they made it to every place. Their, their centurions were everywhere. Everything was carried someplace. So Paul says, listen, I want to go to Rome and I want to get the message there. But since at the time he's writing it, he doesn't know he's going to be able to make it there. He's not sure. He thinks he's going to be in trouble in Jerusalem. So he says, listen, I'm going to write a letter to the people in Rome about what the gospel is all about. And Paul wants them to get it right. You see... The book of Romans is one of the most complete, the most accurate descriptions of the gospel that we have. Paul says, listen, I'm going to write to them a letter and I'm going to begin by laying the foundation. Now, Paul's audience is a culture that worshiped many gods. And he knew his message is going to spread to other parts of the world where they worship other gods, too. So he wants to start off with the very basics. And Paul begins by telling us that it all begins with God. 
Listen, in Romans chapter 1, it's going to pick it up. It's in verse 18. That's where we're starting. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The first place we're going to start is right there. So if you have your outlines, go ahead and pull them out. If you don't have it out already, go ahead and grab it. The first thing you need to know is, number one, God created me. God created me. Paul wants him to know this. Because if Paul is the creator of everything, then it has huge implications. But if God is not the creator of everything, then it also has huge implications. And this basic understanding is going to help us decide, for each of us, how we're going to live. Right? Either God created everything or he didn't. Paul makes this bold assertion that God created everything. He's the supreme creator of everything. And that it is evidenced in the world around us. So that when you and I look up at the stars, we see and think about God. You see, but this wasn't the first time that this idea was told or spoken about before. You see, the Jewish scriptures, which is our Old Testament, they spoke about it for thousands of years. Listen to this verse. It says in Psalm 19, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they speak, they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Listen, anyone, like I said, can go out and look up at the sky at night, see the stars and see the vastness. And it just speaks to us of something greater than we are, doesn't it? Paul says it speaks to us of a creator. Now, it's amazing for this to be. And we look out, we see the creation, we see the world, we say, okay, God did this. But yet, that's not what everybody is saying, is it? Because it's become kind of a controversial topic, really. Especially if you are maybe an atheist. Why? Because we know more now than we did when Paul wrote the book of Romans, don't we? There's been a lot more scientific discovery. And so we hear a lot of times, we hear questions that say, go like this. Hasn't science proven evolution? I mean, I hear that quite often. And I personally think that science does not support the theory of evolution. In fact, I think it refutes it. The very premise of evolution, its foundation, is an idea that goes against science and nature. Evolution supposes that gradual changes over time from one species Um, evolved or became more ordered and more complex and became another species. He's saying it went from chaos to more order. Now, when you guys get up in the morning and you're running late for work and you threw your pajamas and your clothes from the night before on the floor, right? You didn't have time to clean them up. So you head out the door and you leave. Who here comes home expecting them to find them washed and folded and put on the bed? Anyone here? If you have a Hispanic mom... That might have happened because she may come by and do it for you. However, most of us say, listen, that's not going to happen. Not in our wildest dreams is this chaos going to become more ordered and better, right? It's not going to happen. Listen, your house is going to collect dust and it's going to break down and it's going to deteriorate. That's why we spend our Saturdays, at least in my house, cleaning our house and doing work on my house. Because it's not going from... uh, 
order to chaos, or it's not going from a, to, to a better state, from disorder to something better. It's going the other direction. I mean, think about it. Anything new we have, it's going to rust. It's going to break down. Eventually, it's going to fail. I mean, I've got a car. I love the car, but you know, but dings seem to be popping up on it all the time. Like, if it was going to go the right way, that should be looking polished every time I come out and nicer. And a nice sound system with some rims would be nice, too. But that doesn't happen. It just stays the same and gets worse. I have to maintenance and change the oil. Listen, I think you get the idea. We observe this phenomenon everywhere in life and in science. Listen, it's called the law of entropy. And it says, without an outside influence, systems go from order to disorder. Right? These things will naturally move. Their steady state is to go to a place of disorder. And we see this consistently in every area of nature and science. Besides evolution, aside from that, evolution is really not a theory about how, it's really just, excuse me, a theory about how one species changed over time. It says that small, gradual changes led one species to become another more complicated species. But it fails to answer a very fundamental question that we're dealing with right now. It, evolution, cannot tell you how life began. Its theory can't tell you. It tells you how a species can grow once a species is established, but it doesn't tell how it began. In fact, I'm going to tell you this right now. Nobody on this planet can tell you how life began. No matter what anyone tries to tell you. They can't. No one knows. Scientists don't know. Evolutionists don't know. Creationists, well, we have an idea. But no one knows how it came into being. Listen, even the most hardline atheists will admit this when they are talking in moments of truth and honesty. Listen, has anyone here seen the movie Expelled? It was Ben Stein created. It's kind of like a documentary about evolution and stuff. And he interviews a very famous and probably the most pronounced atheist of our day. His name is Richard Dawkins, if you're familiar with who he is. He wrote The God Delusion and a bunch of other stuff. Well, as he's interviewing him, he asks him this very question. And what I wanted you guys to do is to actually see uh, what he said, so I have a clip of it right here. Who did create the heavens and the earth? Why do you use the word who? You see, you, you, you immediately beg the question by using the word who. Well, then how did it get created? Well, um, by a very slow process. Well, how did it start? Nobody knows how, how it started. We know the kind of event that it must have been. We know the sort of event that, that must have happened for the origin of life. And what was that? It was the origin of the first self-replicating molecule. Right. How did that happen? I told you, we don't know. So you have no idea how it started? No, no. no, no nor has anybody. Nor has anyone else. What? He's saying there very clearly, we heard, we, no one knows. No one knows how life began. And Paul's saying, listen, life began with the Creator. In fact, if we look at scientific evidence, I think it's telling us a story that's very similar to the one that's in the Bible. I found an article in, uh, in Time, or well, news, uh, U.S. News, excuse me, and a friend actually gave me this. Uh, and there's an article in here, and it talks about how, I don't know if you were aware of this, and I'm not sure if it was part of the Human Genome Project or not, but scientists went across the whole world, everywhere, the most remote villages in Africa, Asia, South America, North America, Europe, wherever. And they sampled DNA from all of these different tribes, nations, languages, and tongues. And what they found was something very interesting. You see, the Y chromosome is passed on from every man. 
And mitochondrial DNA is passed on from every woman. Listen to what they discovered here. It says this, The Y chromosome and mitochondrial DNA each have surprising property. All men in the world today share the same Y chromosome. And both men and women carry the same mitochondria. All of today's Y chromosomes were inherited from the same single source, a Y chromosome carried by an individual male who belonged to or lived slightly before the ancestral human population. The same is true of mitochondrial DNA. Everyone, male and female, carries the same mitochondrial DNA because all are copies of the same original. The mitochondrial DNA belonged to a single woman. The metaphor is hard to avoid. This is Adam's Y chromosome and Eve's mitochondrial DNA. You see, what science has discovered or what the facts are showing us that were, created, that were found in science is that we all came from a man and a woman. One man and one woman. That sounds kind of familiar to me, doesn't it? Does it sound familiar to you? Listen to what it says in the Bible in Genesis. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and every living creature that comes, that moves on the earth. The Bible says that we came from one man and one woman. And so does science. You know, a lot of times we ask the question, where did Cain come from? Or where did Cain get his wife? Right? Well, now evolution has to answer that same question too. It's pretty interesting that it seems to point to something that we already know about. You see, scientists doesn't actually say anything, realistically. Scientists just has facts. And the facts will either line up or support a theory or not. But it's how we interpret those facts that makes the difference. And how we interpret those facts is going to be based on what we believe and what is our starting point. You see, Paul says this is so important. Because in the verses we just read, he says that man actually suppresses the truth. And what that means is is to hold it down. It's to hold like the rudder, like a helmsman does at a boat. And he's holding it against the current. The current wants to take him one way, but he's holding it against it. That's what that term means. And he's saying we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now here's the important part. If we don't believe this fundamental truth that God created us, then we reverse our roles with God. What do I mean? Let's read verse 21. It says this, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Listen, God's exist in every single culture that we've ever seen. Why? Because I think it's the glory of God's creation. They look out and we see this vast, infinite universe, right? It's beyond us. And we look at the world around us and we see how finite we are. Because you know what's going to happen when you and I die? The earth is still going to be here. We look up at the stars and we think, who could have created this? How could this even come to being? I can't even fathom how far or the eternity that this must go on for. I can't even understand these things. And we realize how little control we have. 
Listen, all of creation makes us acutely aware of our finiteness and our, morali- and our mortality. Think about it. We just can't conceive. We hardly even understand God except for what he may have told us. We can't understand the facts of or these scientific theories that are simply theories about where things are, how they became to being. Man observes from nature that something greater exists. Listen to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. Yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. He says, God has placed eternity in our heart. When we look at the universe, we do have a sense of eternity. We have this sense that there's something so much greater than a something so much bigger. But because in the face of eternity, we lose control. We want to take control back. And so what we do is we form God in our own image. And that's what he said here. They started to form him in their own image. Throughout history, we have Roman gods, Greek gods, Egyptian gods, Eastern gods, African gods, Indian gods, both types of Indians, by the way. We even have the God of our intellect, what we're willing to worship. And think about that for just a moment. Where did all these gods come from? Man made them. Man made these gods. Instead of being created in God's image, we recreate God in our image. And so we created it in the things that we knew the best. Oh, we see an animal? Okay, we're going to worship that. Oh, we see the sun? Okay, we're going to worship that. We're going to worship things that we think that we have some kind of understanding about. And when we do this, we make God so much less than he even is. When we worship the creature instead of God, we minimize the vast chasm that's between God and us. And over time, we become the authority. And we decide whether God even exists. And most of these gods that we see in history don't even exist today. Why is that? Because once the man that made these gods dies, the God dies soon after. And that's why God does this. He gives us a second commandment. The Ten Commandments. The second commandment says this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, uh, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Paul says, listen, let's start here. Let's start right here. There is no other God. There is only one God. Here's two things that you need to know. There is a God and you're not him. Let's just begin right there. Now, if you, if God made you, right? Now, if God is the creator of everything and he made you and he made you, then it stands to reason that God knows everything about you, right? I mean, he knows why you were created. He knows how you were created. He knows for what purpose you were created. He knows what's good and he knows what's bad for you. So here's the second point in your outline. I heard you turning your pages. Number two, God knows what is best for me. God knows what is best for me. The problem with the Caesars is they put something in place or put themselves in the place of God. Some Caesars even believed they were God and they wanted other people to believe it too. Therefore, the Caesars could decide what was right and wrong. Whatever they wanted was possible. Listen, that's why life and death became simply a sport in the arenas at the Colosseum. That's why sexual perversion ran rampant during their reigns. Jealous Caesars actually murdered their own family because they were worried that one day they would take the throne. The path of immorality begins when we put ourselves in the place of God. 
And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Let's read further in verse 26. It says this, For this reason, God gave them up to, fi- uh, to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, and who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, I bet you guys all feel good after reading that, right? Paul lists like 25, I counted them, 25 sins. You know, all of us, I mean, I read that and I was like, I'm no longer worthy to read this Bible anymore, you know, because I'm in there. And if we all were honest with ourselves, we probably all felt a little, wow, that didn't make me feel that comfortable. Because somewhere along the line, we got hit. And, if it, and it, I love the way he sums it up. And, it, and if you're not doing them, but you're approving of those who practice them. So, you're, you know, he gets everybody. But I want you to notice something is that um, he says, you, when you decide, when you decide who's God, then you decide what are the rules, right? You decide what's important to your God if you make up your God. And when you make up your own God, you can make up the rules. I have a niece, uh, her name is Valentina, and uh, she's only four years old. And like probably like your kids or your kids you know that are like four, they know how to use the iPhone already. So when I'm over there, she always asks for my iPhone. I try to keep games on it that she can play. So she takes the game, excuse me, the phone, she opens it up, and she takes, she likes to play Tap Tap Revenge. I don't know if you guys know that one. And it's like a two-player game. You're both on one side, and it like sends these notes at you, and you have to tap on the notes to keep racking up the points. So we'll start playing, and she'll notice that I'm really winning. And so she'll say this, okay, this is how we play. We turn it around now. That's what she says to me. I'm like, okay. And then she's like, this is my game. I asked you to play. These are my rules. Right? Because we all know. If, it's, if I make up the game, then it's my rules. Right? That's the way it goes. It's the same if we make up our God. If we make up God, then we decide what are the rules of life. That's why this is so important. And people were doing just that. They worshipped animals. They created And they acted like animals, and they lusted like animals, Paul tells us. So God gave them over to their lust of their hearts. Listen, if you're dead set on doing things your way, God's going to say, okay, I give you up to it. See, he doesn't force anyone to do it his way. But that's a very dangerous place to be. You see, because one deviation leads to another, which leads to another, until we wake up one day so very far from God. Now, Paul particularly points out a certain sin. He speaks about homosexuality. Now, Paul's emphasis on this sin may have been due to the Roman culture at that time. You see, 14 out of 15 of the Caesars actually engaged in homosexual relationships. In the Greek culture, which still permeated that day, 
They thought that homosexual love was the highest and most purest form of love. And so maybe he's addressing this because he wants the people in that area to be aware of it. Because they're going to be surrounded by it. But I also think that he emphasizes it because this sin is one that shows that we've come very far from God's original purpose for us. You know, we read it earlier that God made man in his own image and he made female. And then he said this, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. It was the verse in your outline. God's purpose for man was to populate the whole earth and to have dominion over it. Now, I don't know, I don't think I need to tell you guys, um, you know, what your reproduction organs are for, right? Because I don't have time to do a thing on the birds and the bees right now. Okay? Listen, God gave you the equipment that you have for a purpose. Listen, though we hear different sometimes in the culture that we hear today, I wanted to quote this woman, her name is Camille Paglia. You may have heard her, you may not. She is a very outspoken, prominent lesbian. She's written a number of books, one that she titled Vamps and Tramps. This is from that book. And I wanted to read this, this quote to you. It says, Homosexuality is not normal. On the contrary, it is a challenge to the norm. Therein rests its eternal revolutionary character. Queer theorists have tried to take the, po- the post-structural attack of claiming that there is no norm since everything is relative and contingent. This is, kind of, this is the kind of silly bind that word-obsessed people get into when they are deaf, dumb, and blind to the outside world. Nature exists, whether academics likes it or not, and in nature, procreation is the single, relentless rule. That is the norm. Our sexual bodies were designed for reproduction. Penis fits vagina. No fancy linguistic game-playing can change that biological fact. She's definitely outspoken. Listen. She's saying, listen, I am a lesbian, and it's not normal. And even nature is telling us that. You see, homosexuality is contrary to the very order of creation. And it leads people away from what God originally had intended for them. It lowers man to a condition below God's created purpose for them. Now listen, I understand that this subject can be sensitive, like I said, in our culture. But God, I want you to know this, because we're walking out in the world and we're hearing it more and more. I had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine about the idea of homosexual marriage. And I'm not here to talk to you about politics. I'm not here to really even zone in on this particular sin, except for the fact that what's happening sometimes is we're saying the culture is saying it's acceptable. But I want you to know what God is saying about it. And this is what he says in his law. In Leviticus it says this, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now God put His law in place for you and me to protect us. You see, we must help people understand that sin is not bad because it is forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. You see, God does not arbitrarily decide in heaven what's good and what's bad for you. Sin is bad. It will hurt you. It will do you in. Homosexuality has many psychological and physical and sociological effects on each person. And God wants to spare you that. Now I know that for some of us we're saying, yeah, I totally understand that. But I also want you to understand that God put his law there to protect us. And that's why it's written. And am I addressing that subject right now? Is because I know that in today we hear it. In fact, one day I won't even be able to stand up here legally to probably say that. They would probably arrest somebody to say that homosexuality is a sin. 
The Bible says this, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. Listen, this verse and this verse, God is not saying, if you keep my laws, and you keep my testimonies, I will bless you. That's not what it's saying. He may, he may do that. But what it's saying is, when you keep my commandments and when you keep my laws, you will be blessed for having done them. Because his laws were created for our own good, for our own protection. He says it will keep us from trouble. Listen, I know that we're living today in a, in a, way, in a place where it is becoming a socially accepted way of life. Listen, we could talk a long time on this topic, and probably this is not the best format to do that. All of us know people who are either struggling or have friends. I have a friend, one of my best friends from college. So I know what it's like. And here's the thing. Some of us don't know how to respond anymore. We don't know even how to, what to think. And so what I want to do, you can take out your connection card if you have them out, and it, what I want to do is send you some resources if that's what you need, if that's what you'd like. Say, listen, I, I want to be able to balance God's grace with what he actually wants us to do, encourages us to do, but I'm not sure how. So if you want that, where it says prayer line, or the, the area where it says pray for me, uh, just write in this, send me resources. That's all you have to write. Send me resources. We'll get that this week, and I'm going to send you some information that will just help you in this area. Now let's move on. Third point. God wants me to put him first. God wants me to put him first. Could it be there's an area of our lives we're just saying no to God, right? We know deep down what's the right thing to do, but we're not doing it because it's going to cost us something, right? Maybe lying becomes very acceptable to us because we don't want to get in trouble. Maybe we're continually fudging the numbers because we don't want to pay. When it comes to sexual immorality, there's a lot of areas of our lives where we deviate. You know, we're practicing something outside of marriage that we know is not supposed to be, that God says no to, but we say, you know what? I'm still going to do it anyway. And the way we excuse ourselves goes something like this, right? I know it's not exactly right, but I think, God, you're okay with it. I don't think he's going to mind, right? It's really not that big a deal. I mean, it's not like I'm killing someone. Listen, we have this interesting thing as disciples of Jesus that we think that our sin deserves forgiveness. The truth is, our sin deserves death. It deserves his wrath every time we sin. But it's his grace and his mercy that he gives us instead. Listen, every time we say to ourselves it'll be okay with God, this is what we do. We remake God in our image. We're telling God how he's supposed to be. We tell God how he's supposed to feel. We tell God what he's supposed to do. We recreate him into something that works for us. Okay, I know who you are. I know what you say. But you know what, God? I'm just going to make you like this because this is what works for me in my life. Listen, a lot of times we find ourselves, instead of changing what we're doing to fit God, we change God to fit what we're doing. And this was the sin of Cain. You guys know Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve. And 
Well, instead of telling the story, let me read it from you. It's in the outline. It's uh, from Genesis. It says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You know, at a glance, I'm not sure if we totally understand what's going on here, right? Didn't Cain bring an offering? Abel brought an offering. Cain brought an offering. You know, why didn't God accept it? The reason God didn't accept it was because back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they hide from God. God comes to find them. You guys are probably familiar with this story. They come out and they've got leaves covering themselves. He's like, why are you guys dressed up like that? And he says, well, we realized that we were naked and we were ashamed. And so God takes the leaves away and he kills two animals and he gives them animal skins in their place. And God was showing them that their sin deserved death. Every time we sin, it deserves death. Now here's the thing. Abel and Cain coming before God to offer the sacrifice for their sin. One of them comes up with the animal. Yes, my sin. I'm seeing it, God. I'm agreeing with you. My sin deserves death. That's what it should be. That's the judgment. Cain comes by and he brings some fruit and some watermelons and he goes, Lord, here, this is my sacrifice. And God's like, listen, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's what he says in the verse. If you do well, won't you be accepted? Cain knew what he was supposed to do. I'm supposed to bring an animal. I should have got an animal, traded with my brother, got the best animal I could, and then brought it before God for my sin, but he didn't. And then God says this interesting thing. If, you, if you're going to be, he says, if you do well, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door waiting for you. And God says this other thing, but you should rule over it. But that's really not what happened. You see, you guys probably know the rest of the story. Cain gets mad. He's very upset. He's jealous of his brother Abel. And he kills him. And the book of Genesis recorded there is the first murder that we've ever seen was Cain. And he becomes a fugitive for the rest of his life. You see, what he did was he remade God in his own image. And it led to deeper sin. God, this is what is acceptable. This is how I'm making you. This should be acceptable to you. I'm remaking you. And it took him farther and farther away. Listen, he came before God and he said, it's okay. And God says, no, it's not okay. If you go that route, sin's going to overtake you. And it did. Listen, it's the same way with you and me. Sin will rule over us. As it becomes more acceptable to us because we've been doing it for so long. As it takes you farther from God. And we find ourselves living the Christian life that just doesn't satisfy I mean, the truth is, how can we have a peaceful relationship with our God when we're doing things that we know He doesn't want us to do? The more we reject God, the more we become insensitive to what is right and wrong. That's why Paul's saying, listen, where we start means everything. Guys, today, God is saying to you, where you start means everything. Did God create you? Okay. Does God know what's best for you then? All right. Are you going to put Him first? 
The Bible says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Listen, we're God's people. And I get it. We stumble from time to time. And we fall. We make mistakes. We're all sinners. He listed 25 sins and we probably got hit by five stones when we read that, right? Or more. Who knows? We're all there. We're all confined under sin. And we make mistakes. But if there is an area of your life where you're consciously compromising, God is saying, listen, it's time to change. It's time to start again. Let's go back to the beginning and let's get it straight. Because I want a better life from you. For you. I want a better life for you. I want peace with you. I sent my son on this planet to die for your sins so that we can be forever. And I want that relationship so we can restore relationship with you and me. We need to move this out of the way. You need to see me for who I am. And change those things that we're doing. Listen. This is the end of the message. And like sometimes I really wish, I wanted to have a very upbeat thing for you guys to leave out of here, right? And be like, yeah, man, we got hope and everything. But listen, hope starts right from the beginning. Hope starts with the right beginning. And what I want to do is I'm going to pray in a few minutes. And there's not going to be fancy music. There's not going to be communion. It's just going to be us in front of the Lord. You see, I know a lot of us are struggling in different things. And God really wants you to be free of that. So we're going to pray. And we're going to ask God for a fresh start. And in the middle of the prayer, I'm just going to stop. There's going to be a moment of silence. I don't want you to feel like it's not supposed to be there. And that's going to be an opportunity for in your seat where you are is just to pray to God for maybe that thing that we've been compromising on. Where we said, God, I know that you don't like this, but I'm still going to do it anyway. I'm going to remake you in my image. And just take the opportunity to start again right. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Sometimes we we encounter sections of your word, Lord, that just really hit us, that really make us think about who you are and what that means in our lives. Lord, I know at times in my own life, Lord, that I've compromised. Lord, that I've done things that I know are contrary to your will and I've said it was okay. Lord, I'm asking right now, please forgive me of those sins. Lord, forgive us for where we have created images of you that aren't true. Lord, help us and give us the strength to overcome those. And right now, Lord, there's an opportunity for every single one of us to just come before the Lord with maybe some things that we want to start new with. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you that you're a loving God who cares about us. Even as sometimes we're running in the opposite direction, you come and save us. Lord, thank you for caring about us so much. Lord, thank you for sending your sons and forgiving us for our sins. 
Lord, for doing what was impossible for us to do, for loving us and loving me that much. Lord, we thank you for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.